This is I Hear Things for Friday, September 10th, 2021. Workshopping your podcast. Well, today I celebrate one more year of continuous service on this planet. Yes, as I record this on September 10th, it's my birthday. As a present to myself, I got my site redesigned a little bit, mildly, not too spicy. And in the process of doing that, I started to collect uh, a bunch of the articles that I'd written there and on Medium and try to put them all in one place. You know, I was struck by just how much I've written in the past year. You know, when you're in the process of doing it, it never seems like a lot. 2,000 words or so, once a week, not every week, to be honest. But if you do that for even half a year, all of a sudden you've got fifty or 60,000 words. You've got enough for a book. I don't have a plan for a book. But, you know, because I spend most of my day job buried in projects for my media clients and doing audience research, I don't often think of myself as a content creator. But then I look back on all of the stuff I've written over the past year, uh, all the podcasts listed on my podcast page, and there, there they are. There's a bunch of podcasts. There's a bunch of newsletters. I guess I'm a content creator. But still, I'm not prolific. And I've got to be honest about this. While I don't produce perfect content, I really try to. As much as I would love to just fire up a brand new anchor podcast or a racket or a clubhouse room and just scream into the void every day, really, I rarely bring myself to do it. And I'll be honest, it's because I'm afraid to make crap. That doesn't mean I don't make crap. I make a lot of crap. Sometimes in hindsight, a thing that I made was crappier than I thought it was. Sometimes a thing that I thought was good back when I made it is objectively crap now. But ultimately, if I think I don't have a great newsletter or a great podcast on any given week, I don't put one out. I almost didn't put one out this week, to be honest. I don't know. You be the judge. At my core, I hate to fail. You know, we're taught that it's failure and not success that's our greatest teacher. Bill Gates famously said, it's fine to celebrate success, but it's more important to heed the lessons of failure. There is no innovation and creativity without failure, according to Brene Brown. And Malcolm Forbes tells us that failure is success if we learn from it. Now, none of these people were wrong, of course, but I would point out they also made these statements as objectively very successful people. What makes a great story? Conflict and resolution. Overcoming impossible odds, bouncing back, triumphing over adversity. Now, those stories make the best business fables and the best business books. We love to read those things. But I will say this. If no great success comes without failure, the opposite is surely not true. I'll give you my favorite quote about failure. It comes from the 5th century ruler of England, Vortigern. Household name, Vortigern. I'm sure you remember him from your school. Under assault from the Picts and the Scots north of Hadrian's Wall, Vortigern had the innovative idea to invite Saxon mercenaries to come to the land of the Celts and defend England in exchange for land and gold. Well, Vortigern's strategy worked. It worked so well, in fact, that the Saxon mercenaries didn't stop with the Picts and the Scots. The Saxons soon realized that they could overpower their Celt hosts, and they began to do so in a most brutal fashion. The Saxon incursion culminated in a peace conference at Salisbury Plain, and when the Celt leaders arrived at the plain, they were butchered in an event that we now know as the Night of the Long Knives. About this notable failure, Vortigern was quoted as saying, 
I don't know. Maybe it was just a gurgle. He died before he could write Leadership Lessons of the Celts. That's the thing with failure. There's a lot of failures, and they don't get to tell the story. But I'm going to guess that he would agree with what I take from this lesson, and that's this. Failure sucks. There's a kind of mythology about failure in entrepreneurial circles. How many of you have heard the term fail fast? There's a kind of common sense to this concept, right? After all, if you have a chance of failing, well, you should figure out what the problem is sooner rather than later. If you can test and iterate quickly, you'll spend less time and therefore less money trying to figure out what doesn't work. And that way you can more rapidly get to what does work without significant sunk costs. John Crumboltz and Ryan Babineau took that term even further, and they wrote a whole book called Fail Fast, Fail Often, which adapts this thinking to life and to our choices in business. You know, it's interesting to me how this term, fail fast, has been co-opted as a business term. Fail fast was originally a term used by computer programmers in a system called agile development. In agile development, a team of programmers engages in what's called a scrum, for you rugby fans, which is a framework for a fast, incremental approach to writing code in a short period of time, testing to see what breaks, and then iterating it quickly. It's a great way for programmers to eat the elephant one bite at a time and make measurable progress on a large coding project. Now, this makes sense if you're a coder, right? You dash off some code, you watch it break, you fix it, you move on. But apply that logic to, let's say, running a restaurant. Okay, so pork sushi didn't really work, and it made some people sick. But hey, at least we figured that out in the first week, right? Let's get back on the horse and get a new menu out there tomorrow. Look, if a piece of code fails, that coder doesn't lose their job. They go home, they drink some Mountain Dew, they play some Apex Legends, they come back the next day, and they fix it. That restaurateur, however, may not get that second chance. The influential author and speaker Seth Godin is a famous proponent of failing fast. He's been quoted as saying, the person who fails the most wins. He's also well known for his mantra of ship it, which advocates for releasing your products and ideas into the wild before they're perfect. Learn from your mistakes and iterate your way to success. He wrote an article called The Truth About Shipping, and he wrote these lines, and I'll quote him exactly here. Ship often. Ship lousy stuff but ship. Ship constantly. Skip meetings. Often. Skip them with impunity. Ship. Now, I agree with shipping and with making that your focus. It's really become a popular manifesto with startups. But I think it's a particularly dangerous one for podcasters. Now, here's what's right about it. The need to iterate. Any truly great product is the culmination of what the songwriter Frank Turner would call a tally of mistakes and successes an ongoing series of continual improvements. Now, I think that's indisputable. The inventor Thomas Edison was once famously quoted as saying, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. The inventor of the Dyson vacuum, James Dyson, built 5,127 prototypes of his bagless vacuum before he hit upon the one that worked. That's a crap ton of failure. And certainly, if you're going to fail that much, you are indeed going to want to fail fast. Now, those two stories, the stories of Edison and Dyson, are often cited by entrepreneurs as the very model of failing fast and the power of iteration. But I'll tell you, those stories are often misused, horribly, in the service of the fables of innovation. Let me tell you what neither Edison nor Dyson did 
on their path of failure. Ship it. Edison did not ship 9,999 crappy light bulbs. James Dyson did not ship 5,000 vacuums that sucked or didn't suck, as the case may be. Yeah, they iterated, they tried, then they failed over and over and over, but not in the marketplace. So you see, I do believe in the power of failure. And if you're going to fail, failing fast beats failing slow six ways to Sunday. But I also know this from personal experience. Failing sucks. Failing in public, especially with the early adopters so crucial to advocacy, sucks even more. So I'd rather fail as little as possible and fail behind closed doors when I can. And all of this ties back to the making of things, like a podcast in this way. Go ahead and make your crappy first podcast. Make your crappy fifth podcast. Don't be afraid to fail. Do it over and over. But equally, don't be afraid to hide that podcast under the mattress if you're not quite proud of it. It only takes one bad experience with a Dyson vacuum for you to never consider buying a Dyson again. And it only takes one listen to a poor podcast to convince that listener that they don't need to listen to your stuff ever again. One of the most valuable resources you can have as a podcaster is that one friend. You know who it is. The one who doesn't care that much about podcasts and the one who'll tell you the truth. Solicit their feedback. Listen to it and make a plan to address it. But here's the point that I wanted to drive to from the beginning. When I was a graduate student in literature, I was occasionally part of writer's workshops. And each week in a writer's workshop, you would take in some snippets of what you were working on for a piece of writing, a piece of creative writing, and you'd share them with the rest of your peers and you'd get some critical feedback. Now I can tell you, these workshops are humbling. Nobody likes to be told that your baby is ugly. And you hear that a lot in a good writer's workshop if it's constructive. But the reward for enduring those brutal truths is the potential to create something better, maybe even something great. The writer's workshop, it's a place to fail before you ship. Now, I think there's a place for the writer's workshop in podcasting as well. No, this is not a million-dollar idea. I don't have an app ready. All you really need is a a few like-minded friends. But I think more podcasters would benefit from what writers have had for years, a safe space to preview their work before an audience of their peers, before its birth to the world. For those of you creating a weekly show, maybe there are three or four other weekly podcasters you could join up with and form a common goal to make each other's next episode that week the best it can possibly be. Now, you don't have to take everyone's advice, but you do have to listen to it. It's all information. And in the often lonely and information-starved world of the podcaster, especially the solo podcaster, a podcaster's workshop might just make the difference between a good show and a great show. Ultimately, we're not always going to produce great work. This is not my greatest podcast. Last week's was probably better, but I'm at least proud of this one. But you know, I'm going to start looking out for that workshop group for myself because I want to get better and I want a place to fail, but not in front of you. This is Tom Webster. Thanks for listening to I Hear Things for September 10th, 2021. I'll see you next week.